Tigarun ke inis tusuton ehontes perikimenon imin nefos marturon, okon opothemeni panta ketin epharisaten amartian di upomenis trechon, ton prokimenon imin agona, aforontes intontis pisteos archigon ketelioton, Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 18 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord. You have not come to something that can be touched, a blazing fire and darkness, and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that not another word be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even an animal touches this mountain, it shall be stoned to death. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you've come to the Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the word of Abel. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you here today. I uh, just got back from Highland in the Park where it was cold. It feels good to be inside right now. Uh, But there was a sense of like togetherness when you're all sitting out there in the cold. And so if you want to experience that by a little bit of suffering, I invite you to check us out at 9 o'clock. Or you can stay uh, cozy in here. It's up to you. Uh, I'm especially glad for all of us that are online uh, joining us. It's good to to be with you in spirit if we can't be with you in present. And we look forward to the day when uh, you're going to be able to join us again. Uh, We're waiting for that. We're going to give you the appropriate amount of social distancing. I understand exactly what you mean, uh, Allie, when you said that. That makes a lot of sense. So when I was uh, in San Jose, we would have friends visit. And... uh, they would always want to do some tourist stuff. I never had to do any tourist things uh, there by myself because we always had friends and it gave us an excuse when they came to stay. And, and there were kind of two maps that I figured out that most people wanted to do. The first one was the nerd map. And what I mean by the nerd map is that people wanted to have their picture taken at certain places like uh, the Apple logo at one Infinity Loop, which is the headquarters of, of Apple, or, or next to that thumbs up sign by the, the Facebook campus, or to ride that kind of silly slide that exists in the lobby of one of the Google uh, buildings, or to visit Netflix. That was kind of the, the nerd uh, tour. We lived about a quarter mile from the headquarters of eBay. And on the eBay campus is this, this house. They've torn out a whole neighborhood to build this campus, but they, they left this one house. It was the house that Elon Musk, who you may have heard of, uh, where he wrote part of the code that turned into PayPal. PayPal is the reason why you can successfully make transactions using credit cards on the internet. And so it was kind of cool to say, hey, this is where this neat thing happened. Most people wanted to, to visit the campuses, but if you were like a true geek, then you, what you wanted to do was drive around Palo Alto and Menlo Park, and you didn't want to visit a campus, you wanted to vil, visit houses, well, specifically garages, where a lot of companies started, like Atari, Google, Hewlett-Packard, Apple. They all began in 
garages in somebody's neighborhood. But there was another map that other friends wanted to take. They, they wanted to go to the hot spots in San Francisco and eat at the really fancy restaurants, visit the Golden Gate Bridge, maybe hike in Muir Woods where all the redwoods were, or, or go down to Santa Cruz and visit the beach boardwalk. There were two kind of maps for two different kind of people. In the story of Israel, there are three or four mountains that really come to mind. And today I want to tell you the story of two of those mountains. The first is Mount Sinai. And if you've, if you've never heard about that mountain before, it's, it's where after God rescues, brings the Israelites out of slavery and is going to lead them into the desert for some wandering for many years, he takes them first to Mount Sinai. Now, up until this point, uh, God has been leading Israel by something that looks like a cloud in the day and fire in night. Now, there's only one natural thing in the world that looks like this. It's a volcano. Smoke during the day, fire by night. And this volcano goes to Mount Sinai and rests there. God's presence rests there. And, and this is where Moses gets the Ten Commandments. The, the second mountain is Mount Zion. And now, originally, that was a stronghold that David conquered. And it's kind of a cool story because some of his men climb up a, a water pipe that's like a quarter of a mile long so that they can get into this stronghold to conquer it. And, and David captures this place. But very quickly, Mount Zion kind of gets the name of all of the mountains in that area, including a threshing floor that David buys. This area this David purchases, his son Solomon is going to build the temple. Mount Zion represents the place where God's spirit comes to rest. That temple will be destroyed and rebuilt two times. And during the entire lifetime of Jesus... The Temple Mount is under a massive reconstruction project. The Herodians, the, the Herodian dynasty, the Herods, uh, beginning with Herod the Great, he levels off the top of that mountain and builds a giant retaining wall so that there is a, a huge place they call the Court of the Gentiles. It's about 20 times as big as this space, this wide open flat space. And he, he begins to, to refurbish the temple. And, and by the time of Jesus, the temple is gilded with gold so that as the sun sets in the west, it looks as if the temple is on fire. These two mountains. Sinai in our text is described as a place that has blazing fire, darkness, gloom, a tempest, the sound of a trumpet, a voice which is heard but not understood, and whose hearers beg it not to speak again. For they could not bear the command, no one shall touch the mountain, even the animals that touch it must be killed. Even Moses, Moses who communes with God, even Moses said, I tremble with fear. What the people encounter at Mount Sinai is the holiness of God. Their reaction is fear and shame, guilt and avoidance. Ultimately turning to a created false idol. A little God with a small g who wasn't holy and above, but 
a God that they could control, and they said to themselves, let's worship this instead. Now, just before this text in, in in your Bible, the author tells the story of Esau. Now, if you don't know who Esau is, I'm going to tell you just a little bit about him. Esau had been given the birthright. He was going to be part of the the lineage of of Abraham's blessing. And he sold his birthright for a single meal. That's what Esau did. He considered everything that God would promise him of being part of God's big story in the redemption of humanity. And Esau said, no deal. I want the gruel. You can have the inheritance of God. Instead, the author says, instead of the life of choices like Esau, instead of the fear and shame of Sinai, you have not come to Mount Sinai. You have come to Mount Zion. And at Mount Zion, there's not gloom and doom or the fire, but the city of the living God. The innumerable angels that that, that are already for a festival, the, the, assembly, the assembly of those who have gone before you and the righteous ones whose hearts have been made sanctified. It's, it's the place where God is judged and has declared everything right and made everything right and has declared you worthy. But most important, the last thing that he mentions is that the one who mediated the new covenant, Jesus, is there. For the last couple of weeks, we've been thinking on what Mike preached on uh, Hebrews chapter 11. It's that great faith story, by faith, the heroes of old who have come through. And, and you imagine at the end of, of chapter 11, as, as these great faith heroes exist in this stadium that are cheering you on. It's that great faith chapter. And, and we, we imagine ourselves as we turn the final bend of the race that we have running, we've been running as we stumble across the finish line because we've been pummeled by the blows of this world. We enter into that stadium where the angels and those great faith heroes are cheering us on. I don't know what you think of when you think of that stadium. In my mind, I have always imagined that stadium as Mile High Stadium. I think that's because I grew up in Denver and I grew up with my dad taking me to those games. And there's, there's one gate at Mile High Stadium where you enter in and you enter in right on the field. And you walk around in this little kind of half horseshoe to get to, to, get to your seat. And as you walk through that particular gate, especially if you were just a little bit late getting to the game, which we always were, You heard the roar of the crowd. It was deafening. I think my dad chose to go through that gate in particular because of just that experience for us as we walked through it. In my mind, this this, this stadium of of the saints cheering us on has always been Mile High Stadium, but that's not where this is. I figured out where this is this week. It's the court of the Gentiles. Because what would happen is you entered up into the court of the Gentiles, you would climb this long staircase, and as you reached the top, you would enter this wide open expanse. And in the days of the festivals, it was incredibly crowded. There were people everywhere, some going to the temple, some coming back from the temples, others just singing songs in the courtyard. And there were priests spaced everywhere, priests wearing white robes and white linen pants and these kind of funny white little hats. And they kind of served as to direct you where you need to go and to explain things, but also just to be the presence of God. 
and everyone is there. As you come up those stairs, singing the songs of ascent, cheering you on. Now, I don't want you to get it twisted. I don't want to draw a too sharp line of the God of Mount Sinai and the God of Mount Zion. They are the same God. God's holiness does not change and God's love does not change and God's grace does not change. Those are all the same in the story of the Old Testament and the New Testament. What does change is the covenant. The author says Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. If you don't know who Abel is, he's the first person that's murdered in the Bible. He's murdered by his brother Cain. And the reason the text says he's murdered is because he offered a better sacrifice. He offered the first fruits of, of his uh, belongings and his brother didn't. And because he offered the best, his, the bro his brother's jealousy killed him. In the text in Genesis, it says that the blood, his blood was calling from the ground. And what we assume this means is that his blood was calling for vengeance. But I wonder if that's what it really was. Sometimes doing the right thing, making the right sacrifice for God, sometimes that's going to cost you more than you bargained for. It may cost you your life because it costs Jesus his. But the consequence of Abel's death is that it caused his brother to experience guilt and shame and fear. The consequence of Jesus' death, on the other hand, is that we experience grace and gratitude and forgiveness. Jesus' blood evokes a better word than the blood of Abel. The author seems to say there are two mountains. One is full of fear, full of shame, full of guilt. The words that come from that mountain are simply unbearable to hear. The other mountain, as you climb, you hear the songs of angels. You see the old heroes celebrating. You smell the food as the festival begins. And, and God is there making all things right again. And, and Jesus is there. The mountain is grace and the mountain is mercy and the mountain is peace and the mountain is joy. And if there's anything we can gain from the testimony of Jesus is that we don't have to live at the base of Mount Sinai anymore. Help me, somebody. We don't have to live at the base of Mount Sinai anymore. The truth is, you get to choose. We get to choose the map we want to take. We get to choose if we travel to the mountain of fear or the mountain of hope. And the saddest thing in the world to me is the periods of my life that I spent worshiping God at the wrong mountain. When we live in fear or shame, it is as if we consider the inheritance God promised to us and we say, no deal. Give me the gruel. That's what I love and what's so inspiring about the, the story of the Kaisers. Working with the poorest of the poor, the people who are homeless in, in Brazil and, and offering them not only hope, but offering them dignity 
not treating them with shame the way the rest of their uh, society, their community treats them, but, but treating them with joy and peace and mercy and love, teaching them how to move from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. And I wonder what it looks like for us as a church when we intentionally choose to live our lives without fear and worship at Zion. So the question that I want you to leave with you today is what's your map? What mountain are you living below? And if you have found yourself at Mount Sinai, afraid of the voice of your father, living in fear of the mistakes that you've made, finding yourself living in judgment of others because that's how you think God has judged you, I want to invite you to come with me to Zion. Come with me to the city of the living God. And let's hear those angels sing. If you don't mind, please stand for our benediction. You this week have the choice. You have the choice to live in fear or you have the choice to live in hope and joy. You have the choice to live at Sinai, or you have the choice to live in Zion. This week, choose Zion. Be filled with love and peace and the goodness of God. May you go with his spirit.